0: Namo tasa bhagavato arlahato sama sambudhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arlahato sama sambudhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arlahato sama sambudhasa. Bodhang thamang sankhang nama sami. This is the, the third talk of this Rains Retreat period. And I'd uh, like to uh, keep it on the subject of uh, practical advice about how to meditate and how to gain release of the mind. When we talk about release of the mind, it's good to understand release from what. And uh, one a thing one can focus on for being released from uh, during the practice of meditation is releasing yourself from the asavas even though only a temporary release it is still a very important practice to attain that temporary release and indeed because last Saturday in the uh, special session with the novices and anagarikas and anagarikas here that I was uh, talking about the asavas Especially by going through the Sabhasawa Sutta. I thought I would extend that uh, Saturday night lesson by talking about the Asawas in more detail. Not only do their understanding and the way to overcome them give one more depth in the ability to gain peaceful states of mind, but also they give one more insight into the nature of the mind the nature of the defilements which block one experiencing the mind, and thus gives you a great uh, insight into an important aspect of the Dhamma. Because once you know what the asavas are, and once you know how to abandon them, and once you do abandon them, then you become someone who is called kinasawa, which is the, the title of an arahat someone who has destroyed his asuras, <coughs> Especially when one practices uh, meditation and starts to develop the mind in peaceful, uh, stable states of inner tranquility, uh, the asuras can very easily become manifest as that which pushes your attention away from your chosen uh, object of meditation. The Asawas, as I understand them, are like forces which take the attention out of the mind and take it elsewhere into the world, which uh, take the attention from where it belongs and send it out on a journey which has no end in the world. <coughs> it's because of the force, the power of these arsavas it's very difficult to literally go against the stream of these uh, flowing currents to be able to find the source of all of this to be able to uh, center the mind to take it just to one point and keep it there these arsavas are like forces which uh, take the attention outside. And once you understand the asuras, uh in this particular light, it becomes uh, apparent that the obstacles one meets in meditation are very much the manifestations of these asuas. When the Buddha taught that Sabhasava Sutta, he said that these asuras have to be uh, abandoned or removed through different practices. And uh, there are seven practices but to start with the, the coarser ones, the coarser practices in my uh, opinions here were the practices of like removing, oh sorry, restraining and avoiding. And <coughs> that restraint of the senses and the avoidance Of unsuitable situations uh, are two of the the very (coughs) first practices which one should do to try and stop these asawas. This is something which you normally do just outside of the period when you sit down and meditate. It's It's just so easy, especially at this time of the Rains Retreat, just to follow that flow of the answers, and to get into conversations with other people, to follow the flow of the answers, and to start getting distracted by the things outside of oneself. There is a great flow of the mind, a great current which makes you go outside and to seek some sort of truth, some sort of Um, insight, some sort of understanding, some sort of gratification even by following these asavas out into the world, by doing things, by getting into conversations, by reading, by even by thinking. This is all manifestations of the asavas going out. And the Buddha said that these particular coarser forms of the asavas should be reined in through restraint and through avoidance. In this monastery at this time, the practice should be like avoiding situations which encourage the flow of the asawas, encourage the flow of the attention from inside to outside. To try and avoid like meeting with one another, speaking with one another because these are things you can notice takes your attention from inside to outside. To avoid like projects, writing letters, reading books, doing things because this is all taking your attention from where it belongs, outside. Sometimes we may think that we can get some understanding and solve the problem by uh, looking in the books or having conversations or discussions and you notice that because of the power of delusion that all of the things which one does outside one always finds a justification for them is the justifications which are born of ignorance in all good monasteries which I've had the privilege to be in that uh, the speech is restricted and that the monks are encouraged to develop the sense of quietness and seclusion. This is like the physical seclusion, the kaya we waka the bodily separation from the world. And this monastery, that personally I've worked hard over the years to to build a monastery, which it is possible to develop kaya we where there are huts with walking meditation paths and and uh, water tanks so that there's not too much need to go out and seek the world and to try and arrange so that there's uh, little things, little work to be done in the monastery during this time of the year to try and lessen the burdens by which the Asa are encouraged to go out so the whole purpose and movement of this monastery over the years has been to try and encourage and to develop the facilities for monks to develop kaya viwaka to develop that seclusion this is like the avoidance the avoidance of company the avoidance of talk the avoidance of abundance in possessions all of these things are to be avoided for the reason that if you indulge in these things it does encourage the arsavas. If you have a conversation it might be pleasant, it might even be thought to be useful. You may have more intellectual knowledge but when you try and meditate you find that the mind has gone out so far it's hard to rein it in again. The arsavas have been let loose and they're hard to to train again. This mind has to be trained, it has to be disciplined and you know from experience every time (coughs) you let the mind go through heedlessness through misunderstanding what you're supposed to be doing it gets harder to rein the mind in. But if your training of the mind, your disciplining of the mind your avoidance and your restraints are constant and consistent, then you find eventually the arsuas are weakened. If you avoid company, if you avoid talking, if you avoid writing letters, if you avoid reading too many books, if you avoid all of these distractions, then you find the arsuas get weak. And meditation peaceful, deep meditation becomes possible. <laughs> I should also mention that practice of sense restraint as well. Because that sense restraint, here in this monastery, this, very, this time of year there's no newspapers, there's very few like distracting things to read, there's nothing really to listen to other than Dharma talks. However, there is things to listen to like one another's conversations like talking means listening and listening again is not restraining that uh, sense base of, of the ear. Because if they get into too many conversations you find just those conversations echo as you think, as you contemplate, as you remember all of those things you've just been talking about. See if you can limit the conversations. Limit the contact with one another. Again, it's marvelous if when you wash your bowls after the meal you can wash your bowls silently without having to speak because if there's nothing really needed to be said, then don't say it. Again, be like those monks Anuruddha, Nandio and Kimbala, who would hardly ever speak with one another this is learning how to restrain, but also that you have to learn how to restrain not just the five external sense bases but the the sixth sense base of the mind, especially with thought as well. This this is an important sense base to be able to restrain. Whenever there is a train of thought begins, you have to cut it off very quickly before it establishes itself in your mind because once these thought patterns establish themselves in your mind once they take hold they overwhelm the mind and it's very difficult to to abandon them always the best way to uh, restrain that faculty of the mind which Uh, manifests as thoughts especially sensual thoughts or angry thoughts or any thoughts about the external world which you not really have to be concerned with the best way is always to stop it at the very beginning when it just arises when there's a thought of sensual desire when there's a thought about family or past or future when there's a thought about something which has nothing to do with the goal and just to grab that straight away don't let it establish itself and then you can find you can abandon it very quickly I was talking to quite a few people uh, in the interviews last week that sometimes that these thoughts which we have establish themselves in our minds and obstruct the beautiful peace of the mind simply because that on a deep level, we value these thoughts, we think they're important, we think they're, <coughs> they're going to get us somewhere. And these can even be thoughts about the, the Dhamma or the Vinaya. At least what we think is the Dhamma, what we think is the Vinaya. But this is not what the Aryans know as the Dhamma or the Vinaya, this is just external. But these thoughts, the reason why they obsess our mind, why they keep on going, why we don't know anything else, because we value these things. I was teaching a few monks in the interview periods to practice some asupha gamatana, the uh, meditation on the disgusting, bringing up the simile which many of you would have come across through reading the sutras of a young man or a young woman finely dressed, fond of adornments finding themselves wearing the carcass of a rotting dog around their neck and I was encouraging when you're meditating to look at these chain of thoughts as like a like a chain of rotting dogs around your neck things which aren't Pertinent to the goal, things which are blocking you from gaining this beautiful peace of mind, gaining the jhanas, gaining the power of the mind to really see the true Dhamma. If you can develop asupā, the perception of the disgusting, onto your very thinking process, then there is the opportunity, there is the chance, there is the the cause, which gives rise to the the mind abandoning interest in these thoughts (coughs) is a very practical and powerful way of developing this restraint through the power of nibbida, of repulsion to that which is seen to be a block, an obstacle, a burden. Just like the rotting (coughs) carcass of a putrid, rotting dog around your, your head. These are the thoughts, the ideas, these chains of fa- chains of fantasies and dreams and whatever which can go around in the mind. So restrain those. If you read too much, if you talk too much, you will think too much. These things go together. But if you can restrain your external speech, your external reading, then you find it's easy to restrain the internal speech of thought, to give it no importance, to develop repugnance towards it and then it might stop and you will have some idea of silence. It's only when the mind is silent there's an opportunity to develop the, the higher stages of meditation. You know that's how I've been teaching meditation to the lay people in in town. I teach them like two preliminary stages. First of all, just putting your attention in the present moment. Whatever happens in the present moment, just keep your attention there to start with. And the second preliminary stage is once you have your attention focused in the present moment, of having abandoned the past, having abandoned the future, then to develop the silent awareness in the present moment. To sort of stop the thought at this preliminary stage. Because if the mind is thinking backwards and forwards, there's no way that you can even approach that first stage of breath meditation, of continuous awareness of the breath. If thoughts are very strong and they're unrestrained, then you find that the meditation is hopeless and you sit, it could be half an hour, an hour, you don't get anywhere you're wasting your time and you find because of that power of thinking that you gain aversion towards the process of meditation it makes you weary, bored and even depressed simply because you're not uh, (coughs) penetrating to the joy of meditation. The joy which arises with the mind which is peaceful. So even remember those two preliminary stages. These are techniques by which to restrain that sixth sense of the mind and to avoid those obstacles which you know are just going to torture you and give you more and more suffering suffering which you can experience right here, right now and the suffering of restlessness the suffering of a mind which won't stop thinking the suffering of like the weariness because the mind isn't concentrating the mind which concentrates, the mind which develops stillness and stability becomes a very bright, happy mind you all know that how you can tell if how a person's meditation is just to see how much they're smiling. <coughs> That's a basic way of seeing if a person has got a jhana. Remember in the suttas, Ananda seeing Ven. Sariputta coming back in the evening after meditating all day, his faculty is clear and bright. And uh, Ven. would say, "Yeah, today I've been uh, dwelling in first jhana, or second jhana, or third jhana, or fourth jhana, or whatever." This is a natural result. This gives one the happiness, the sukkha-i-hari, the happy abiding. So don't obstruct your uh, chance of achieving these things by the lack of restraint or the lack of avoidance, whether it's the external senses or that part of the internal sense of mind, core thinking. These are all manifestations of Asawas. <coughs> as far as the Asawas are concerned, there are three main ones: the karmassawa, bahuassawa, and our wejassawa. It's strange, but those—the mind which goes out, which seeks company, which seeks talk, which seeks distraction—even the mind which thinks—is running from karmassawa also with a bit of Awijasawa there as well. The karmasawa is that movement outside into the world which is propelled by the search for some sort of satisfaction, fulfillment in the world of the external senses. Even the thought, even though the thought is from the mind, it is thought about the world. In Pali, it's called karma-vitaka It's thoughts concerned with <coughs> deriving some sort of pleasure, satisfaction in the external world even the knowledge of facts is all part of karma-vitaka not really to do with the mind one hasn't really seen the mind yet but so all of these things once you just don't think about these things Drop them, abandon them. You have to train yourself in letting go of some of the responsibilities and duties which you are asked to do from time to time. It is a training which I have had to learn how to do. And each one of you as you grow in this monastic sangha will also have to learn how to do responsibilities and as soon as they are complete to drop them completely and just attend to the mind. This is a training, a disciplining of the mind which you have to do because you know that you can't avoid responsibilities, duties, doing things forever. You have to learn how to take up your duty, your responsibility, your role in the Sangha. And then when you get into your hut, when you sit on your meditation cushion, to drop all of that thinking, all of that planning, all that remembering. and just let the mind do its duty on avoiding and restraint. The more you discipline the mind with avoidance and restraint, then the more refined the mind comes, you're weakening the asuras and the coarser forms of those asuras also as far as the Asa was a concern we have the uh, the practices in the Sabhasava Sutta of like using and enduring and uh, the next one. Oh, never using and enduring these are <coughs> ways of uh, Abandoning these uh, asuras, or rather, uh, lessening them, uh, restraining them, weakening them their power, even though there are things in the sense of using, you have to do things in the world. Even though that, <coughs> in the way that it's described in the Savasura Sutta, that uh, you have to, <coughs> excuse me, use these four requisites. But these four requisites when being used, one should always reflect upon them. One of the reflections which I always do is to ask whether I'm worthy of these requisites. Or this the great food which we get in this monastery, the beautiful huts, the support which we get. Am I really worthy of these things? I've even told the lay people, let alone the monks, that the food which they take after the monks have eaten uh, this food is offered to a Sangha and it's offered for a purpose the purpose why the, the lay community come and offer this food is so that the monks here can do their duties as as Buddhist monks as novices, as Anagarikas and Anagarikahas they expect you to use this food for meditation for developing your mind for gaining such things as jhanas and the the maghapalas. People go to a lot of trouble, they give a lot of donations, and if that these donations or this food, this accommodation is given to you and you don't achieve anything then their gifts don't achieve very much. In the sense you have a responsibility when you use the requisites in this monastery to put forth effort out of gratitude to those who support you. This is a reflection which I do which tends to really restrain the arsawas. You feel hiriotapa. this like shame and like moral dread or moral conscience. That if you waste your time knowing that the your body is sustained by the gift of all these faithful lay people. If you told the lay people how you spent the day would they be happy to have fed you? Use that as a reflection. Also be very frugal as you reflect on the use of the requisite. Many people are poor. Sometimes that uh, we forget just how many people in this world—they don't earn very much. Some are even on a, a pension. Was well, it two hundred dollars a week, two fifty dollars a week? I think if it's that much, I'm not sure. And one should—and they have to pay their food and their accommodation and many other things out of that. They're not left with very much. One should not be a person who uses resources of the monastery very much. One one is poor. One's use of requisites should be less than the poorest person who supports you. Not more. You should be someone who is simple to look after, easy to look after. Someone with few wishes. Apicca. I was just talking uh, a couple of days ago just about how it was in this monastery in the early days. Sometimes people laugh and say, here we go again. Please don't laugh like that. This is Apichakata. This talk of wanting little, being satisfied with little. It's a good reflection, it's the, the things you should be talking about and thinking about. Not how to get more things more comforts, but how to be more frugal, more simple, easier to look after. This is again a way of restraining the asuras, restraining those things which go out into the world. What do you need? What do you want? As soon as the mind turns in that direction, it goes out into the world. I told you before that many times I walk around this monastery deliberately not looking at what needs to be done next but looking at what's already been completed learning how to be content with what is already there rather putting the mind in the fault-finding what's lacking mode it's very easy to think of all the things which we could do in this monastery it's very easy to think of all the things which you could do to your heart It's very easy to think of all the extra things you can have to make your life, you think, more comfortable. (coughs) Instead of looking at that, that's the the way of increasing arsores by noticing what's missing, noticing what more can be gained or what more you you want in the the external world of requisites. (coughs) When you look what's already been achieved, what you have already it's amazing just how comfortable, how well established how convenient this monastery is. In fact, if you look at that way, there's more than enough for you to become fully enlightened here. There's more than enough support, there's more than enough comfort. So the reflection on the requisites should always be leading you to a development of santuti, contentment. The contentment with the requisites goes directly against the arsuas the arsuas go out searching for more contentment says why go out, there is enough right here I've often given a simile the person is in a home a beautiful home with everything they ever want why would they ever go out? they only go out because of discontent and they seek fulfilling fulfilling their desires by going outside, outside of their home into the world. In that simile, the home is your jitta, your mind. You go outside because you don't realize the contentment which is possible just by staying home and recognizing this home of yours. Not looking from where you've come from, you go out seeking something or other. And there's no end to going out into the world. There's only an end by looking inwards, finding this jitter. If there is a home, you can call it that. Not permanent, not essential, not some sort of ultimate reality, but just a base point. At least find that much. As you develop the meditation, that particular contentment with the requisites of meditation is something which will develop deep and deeper profound states of mind. Even when you're watching any stage of this breath meditation, even if it's the first stage, if you have discontent when you're aiming at just awareness continual awareness of the breath you want to hurry up so you can get onto the deeper stages i want to get full awareness of the breath i want to calm i want to get the samadhi limiter if you are at an earlier stage and you're trying to rush through this is called discontent the asavas are being encouraged there's no way that you can gain progress in meditation in this way develop contentment at the stage which you're at. So you're perfectly content just to stay at the first stage of this meditation. Just continuous awareness of the breath. Then you find the second stage will happen almost automatically, naturally. You're content just to stay with that first stage. You are c- creating the causes for the second stage to arise the full awareness of the breath content is to watch the breath that the awareness stays with the breath and it doesn't go out into some future fantasy of what you think is the next stage you develop contentment with the full continuous awareness of the breath it is content just to stay with the breath you're not really looking for a nimitta or looking any further you find that the mind calms down. In contentment there is no movement, no searching. When there's no movement or searching, there's a calming down of the mind. The mind settles. As the mind settles, so does the breath. As the breath settles, it disappears. And then when a nimitta arises, having developed contentment (coughs) you can be just content with that limiter this will do not excited not trying to take it further but developing the ability of the mind to sustain the attention on the object through staying at home with it through contentment this is completely opposite to the asawas which destroy meditation which go out seeking for something else. When you know what these aswas are, when you know them as an experience, as you know, like a feeling, as a movement which you can see again and again in your meditation, you know the obstacle, the root problem. Again that could be karma sawa. they the looking for some sort of sensory satisfaction no way you can get sensory satisfaction in this world momentarily yes but continually no it's futile, it's a waste of time all sensory concerns just like the rotting carcass of a dog around the neck of your mind take them off, throw it away these defile your mind Santuti contentment. And through contentment, so the jhanas come up one by one, by themselves. This is just a way of overcoming the asawas. <laughs> There's also a very subtle asawas, bawasawa, which is an interesting, uh, more refined uh, outflowing of the mind because you'll notice as you develop these quiet states that these are subtle states, sukhamma very refined states of mind they're refined because you're actually cutting away at existence of of bhava in particular you're first of all cutting away at the karma bhava the realm of sensory existence those of you who know Pali, you know the, the suttas, know there's like Three worlds or three types of existence karma bhava, rupa bhava and arupabhava. Karma bhava corresponds to karmaloka as does rupa bhava correspond to rupaloka, arupabhava, arupaloka. The karma bhava or karma-loka is the world of the five senses. Rupa loka is the world of the four jhanas. Arupaloka, the world of the immaterial jhanas. Call them Karma Bhava, Rupa Bhava, and Arupa Bhava in this context. As you abandon one world, you're abandoning a big slice of Bhava, a big slice of existence. And it is why one of the obstacles to finally entering a jhana. Is very much Kamabhava, Asawa. That outflowing of the mind which depends on sensory existence. That the mind is not used just to abandoning that world. And even right at the very edge, when it's about to, to leave that world into a more refined world, it just sends out disturbance, it goes away from the the nimitta and disturbs itself just to keep contact with that world of sensory experience. That is a very refined asava and you will actually see it at the boundary between upachara samadhi and full jhana even though the Khamasawa has been overcome. The mind doesn't move out seeking for sensory experience. It seeks out for (coughs) sensory pleasures. It it goes out seeking for just sensory being rather than sensory pleasures. You see these movements of the mind, especially in deeper meditation. These things have to be uh, understood and overcome by learning how to use requisites, even using meditation objects, by avoiding the problems which arise in meditation and by enduring sometimes. Sometimes that there may be unpleasantness in the body, just endure, leave it alone. Then it will go away. Very often that the enduring is a way of saying, well I'm not going to allow the mind to go out to this I'm just going to wait for these things to go away As a monk in this Abhasava Sutta, you're supposed to be able to endure painful feelings and also, not just painful physical feelings, but painful speech as well The two are so similar, if someone calls you a name or says something which upsets you don't look upon it as like being there for. just look upon it as like an itch on the ear. There's an ache in the tooth so there can be an ache in the ear, just painful, unpleasant. So don't go try and search it, seeking the problem in in the outside cause. Just endure and it will just disappear by itself. Many of the asawas, are generated because we cannot endure but we get involved in these things. In particular, very often if there is painful or disagreeable feelings, even like depression which can come up, disappointment, frustration. Very often the response to that is seeking for pleasure. Eating too much, talking too much, <coughs> fantasizing, dreaming, just going out looking for pleasure in the world as a response to suffering and of course you don't really solve the problem that way, only temporarily if there's suffering, disappointment, depression or whatever else comes up from time to time in the meditation don't try and solve it by seeking for pleasure you're just following the arsawas endure leave it alone it will go away the other of the course forms of overcoming the arsawas is just Winodana, just dispelling them, throwing them out. Very often, this idea of throwing out is not encouraged enough in Buddhism, in meditation. There's too much letting go emphasized. Letting go is great, but sometimes we need to hurry along the letting go by throwing it out. This is Winodana, dispelling. And the way it's described in the Abhasva Sutta is just very beautiful. So if there's a thought of sensuality, sensual desire, you should not tolerate it even for a moment. But you should cast it out. If there's a thought of ill will, you should not tolerate it for even a moment, you should cast it out. It's a thought of cruelty, don't tolerate it for a moment, but cast it out. The important thing here, as I was mentioning before, is for a moment cast these things out. If we don't cast them out quickly they invade the mind and remain and cause you all sorts of problems. These are the coarser ars- ways of overcoming the asawas. <coughs> There's also <coughs> the did ditasawa the of are caused by wrong views not seeing things correctly this is a very difficult asawa to see to see it working and also to overcome it because this is a deeply hidden cause for the mind to go out into the world this dit asawa especially means the delusion of a self, very often you will notice, especially as you develop deep states of meditation, the mind goes out into the world as an expression of me, mine, a self. This is the origin of much of the outgoing of the mind, to expressing yourself, being someone getting praise, getting affirmation. Just how much of what you do is to please somebody? Just to try and be liked, try and be accepted. This happens so much in the world, but it even happens in the the monastery as well, in a meditation monastery. You don't have to please anybody. You have to follow the Buddha's teachings. Don't follow that particular asava because it is endless. Praise and blame, praise and blame. You do the right thing and you get criticism. You do the wrong thing and you get praise. Most of the time just people you don't even notice what you're doing. Sometimes that really hurts when people don't notice you. This is like an asa like an outflowing of the mind. This is especially an outflowing of the mind which you can see again at the gates to jhanas. (coughs) Because part of the illusion of a self, as I keep on saying, is that one thinks that one is in control of all of this. One has the illusion of a doer as long as there is an illusion of a doer there is something needed to be done. That's when you leave your home and go outside doing things. Doing this, doing that. There's no end of doing. When is a monastery complete? Endless. When are all your letters complete? Never. When are all your studies complete? Never. You can read the Tripitaka for the next hundred lifetimes with a memory of your past life so you don't forget it all. You can examine investigate. I thought once I heard that in Thailand there was this uh, person who supposedly could remember his past life as a monk in the time of the Buddha. So I, I thought at last I can go and ask this and solve all these vineyard questions once and for all and get it right from the source, someone who heard the vinya from the Lord Buddha. Ajanyana was saying this afternoon, in the drink time, that some of the, the great monks in Thailand used to be Nagas. At last I can find out whether those Mahayana suttas really were there in the Naga realm, by asking a few Nagas. And getting it from them. And of course, I mean, that's endless, you never solve the problem that way. When there's a doer, there's always something more to be done. When there's something more to be done, there's never any ending. So you have to understand that this is just part, it's coming from the illusion of a self. A me, a mine, a doer especially at that gateway into jhanas. The doer, the doer, the doer has to be abandoned. You can't do a jhana, you have to completely abandon the doer, the controller, the one who gives the orders if you're going to enter one of these sublime states. That is an asawa which stops you being tranquil, which takes you away from the jitter. The doer, the doer, the doer. You can restrain that in your daily life. Not doing so much. You got your duties, do those and no more. Just so often I get a bit uh, disappointed when that I try and work very hard to try and set up this monastery so you don't need to do very much and then people have all their own their own little projects which they try and do their own little concerns wasting their time when I'm trying to save them time stop all this doing and just go the opposite direction Stop, cease, end, give away, and see if you can come to some sense of of abandoning, of contentment. So there's nothing to do. Eventually, that as one develops deep meditation, you can start to see the doer stopping. The cessation of the doer is a very important stage in the meditation. Because there you're seeing a very great truth of Anatta, of non-self. As you see it, so you enter jhana. Often said, and this is a very powerful insight in my life as a monk, every time you get a deep insight the mind just goes tranquil. And your insight is measured not by the brilliance of your talks, your insight is measured not by your memory of the Tripitaka, your insight is measured by your ability to be quiet, by your ability to be still, by your ability to access deep states of meditation. What blocks jhanas anyway? These asawas, basically illusion, ignorance, Delusion, Awija. But Awija so. It's only because people are stupid they don't enter jhanas. I've said here before, and any <coughs> person who's even experienced a, a whiff of jhanas knows these as blissful experiences, more blissful than sexual intercourse. I would say this just to be blunt. I mean, don't you want these things? Aren't you interested? This is like the joy of the mind. Okay, you can get attached to these things and only become an anagami instead of being an arahat, but I think that many people here would be satisfied with being an anagami in this Range Retreat. That's if you become attached to these things. Well, this is like the joy and the bliss of the mind. Why are you settling for something less? Be diligent, practice deeply, know these Asuras and just kick them in the guts by abandoning them. The last of the ways of developing the end of the Asuras is through through developing those in the Sabhaswa Sutta, it's a very beautiful and skillful sutta. They say it's like through developing the seven enlightenment factors. These are the ways of overcoming the most refined of the Asavas. The last of the Bhojangas is Samadhi and sorry, Samadhi Nupeka. Samadhi again refers to jhana as upekha. The result of the fourth jhana. We're we're talking about bojangas, limbs of enlightenment, not just ordinary, indifferent, sort of common or garden upeka, but just real upeka, real equanimity. The equanimity which is so equanimous, the mind is absolutely still, inside of itself, peaceful imperturbable an endure, unshakable. And the unshakable equanimity. That's what one is developing. Don't settle for less. So one has to develop these things. But one so I was saying last week, one should have the confidence and faith that these things can be developed. And it's up to you to put forth the effort and the time you develop by going against the stream, by going against the arsalas because the arsalas are like a stream as I keep on saying, the outflowings of the mind the mind goes out into the world, it gets into trouble every time stays at home, it gets blissed out but go against the arsalas know what they are not just as ideas and theories from the Buddha's teachings. Know the ideas and theories, but that's not sufficient. As you're meditating, as you're developing deep states of calm, it's see what blocks you. That's how we develop insight. As we have got a goal, we know what's blocking us, there we see these, these <coughs> uh, fundamental forces of illusion, these manifestations of Awija, these Asuras, you can see these things flowing out, these streams coming out from the mind, taking you away from the source, the currents. Once you see these things you have a chance of overcoming them. Bhavana developing ways of overcoming them, the seven enlightenment factors and knowing that you've understood them and you've overcome them by stepping beyond them. Eventually the outflowings of the mind are no longer there when the mind or the attention goes into the mind in a jhana when the mind enters into a some, into some, state of samadhi, at that time there is no afterwards present. Latent, yes. Actual, no. You're temporarily released from these stages, see, these afterwards. Because the mind is, as it were, unified. There's no going anywhere. Still, stable, for a long period of time and you come out of these stages, as I always say, you reflect afterwards. It's almost impossible not to reflect on the experience of Ajana. You look, what is this state? Why is it? What's happening there? The more experience you have of these stages, the more you know this is a stage, state without ourselves apparent. The mind is still, bliss contented, not going anywhere. These are beautiful states, having come out now you see the mind with asavas. Only then do you really understand what asavas are. You're always like in the realm of perception, you have to (coughs) see both, you have to overcome things before you can actually see what they really are. You've got to step out from the the water to see what water is. You have to have like a perspective. Get outside of the town to understand the town. Get outside of the asurus to understand the asurus. When you're free from the asurus and then you you leave that uh, the jhana and then you're with the asuras again, that's when you really recognize these asuras. When they're there all the time, constantly, you only know a fraction of what they truly are. But with the experience of a state beyond asuras and then what asuras are like, you really, truly understand them. You see these are forces of the mind. With the right view, once you know what aswas are like, then the bhavana, the development, has a point to it. The dasana, which is say, the first of the ways of overcoming the aswas in the sabhasava sutta, is very much like, <coughs> it is actually defined as developing stream entry. Knowing the mind knowing dukkha, knowing the arsawas, knowing the cause of dukkha, knowing the end of dukkha. It's only when one knows all of these things that one can truly bhāvana and develop the ending of that which causes all the problems. Bhāvana is especially the job of someone who is a stream-enterer. It's the job of the Aryans who have yet to become arhat, And it's also things which we can do now. Bhavana, bhavana, bhavana. Develop, develop, develop these qualities. Restrain, limit the ourselves. People in the world, they go out and create all sorts of problems with no end. If you go inside, against the was weaken them, see them, and then cut them off, destroy them, once and for all. Then you can be free from rebirth, free from dukkha. You can truly say that you've keen arse away, you've cut the outflowings, there's nothing going out anymore, there's nothing to go out to, there's no more rebirth into any world. So these are the Asavas, very important and beautiful teaching of the Buddha. And this is one way, this is one way that you can use them in your development of deep meditation and your realization of the stages of enlightenment. Be know these things, be wary of them, cut them off and be enlightened. So that's today's talk on the arsewise. Has anyone got any question they would like to ask about this evening's talk? Okay. 你说 sure.